0: I think for a long time I associated a certain kind of striving, of overwork, of proving that I was doing okay, that I was good, with safety and control. Ambition, for me, felt like something that I could control and something that would help me get from point A to point B. It was the thing that I turned to and depended on and what I thought of, honestly, as my only good quality.
1: This is the Sustainable Ambition Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be ambitious and navigate work from decade to decade without sacrificing your life or yourself. I'm your host, Kathy Onetto, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rainsford Stoffer, who is a freelance writer and reporter who hails from Kentucky. She is the author of An Ordinary Age, which was named one of Esquire's best nonfiction books of 2021, and her latest book, All the Gold Stars, Reimagining Ambition and the Way We Strive, which we'll be discussing today. Rainsford writes the Work in Progress column at Teen Vogue. Her work has also appeared in Vox, Dame Magazine, Elle, The New York Times, and other outlets. Rainsford is passionate about student journalism and youth led writing spaces and is a 2022 and 2023 Rosalind Carter Fellow for Mental Health Journalism, focusing on youth mental health in the South. I was excited to both read Rainsford's book and have the chance to go deeper and discuss ambition with her. There are a lot of themes that resonated with me in her work and in our conversation, from what brought her to explore the topic of ambition to embracing a more expansive view of ambition that I think can contribute to helping make ambition more sustainable for us all. Let's hear more from Rainsford Stoffer. Rainsford, it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm so excited to talk with you about all the gold stars. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait. Well, I want to get started with the first question, which is what even put you on this quest to explore ambition? It's such an interesting thing because as you write it out in the book, as we both know, ambition has both some positive aspects to it, but then a lot of negative connotations. So it's really interesting to me in your growing up and early adult life used ambition as kind of an anchor, but we'll come back to it. I kind of want to just better understand what led you on this quest to explore ambition.
0: Absolutely. It's so interesting to think about now because the honest answer is that what led me to want to explore ambition and talk to people about ambition is that I truly felt like I was losing mine And as you alluded to, for so much of my life, it felt like ambition was a sort of anchor. It was the thing that I turned to and depended on and what I thought of, honestly, as my only good quality. So when I was going through this stretch of my life where there was just a lot of turmoil personally with my health, with my work, it was just one of those phases where there was a cascade of brutal stuff all at once. And I realized I was not feeling particularly ambitious the way I had before. I didn't feel like I was capable of working through or pushing through or being inspired to keep going the way I had done previously. And honestly, that was really disorienting. So when I started writing about ambition, I didn't think of it as a book. I was trying to process my own thoughts about where my ambition came from, where ambition in general comes from and how it manifests. And over time, as I started having conversations with different people about this, I realized that it was so multi-layered. It has so many different meanings. It is so compressed and defined by different societal structures that it made me want to have so
1: many more of these conversations, which is what led me to report the book. What pulled you towards being driven by ambition, Mm -hmm. do you think, early on? Because what was really interesting to me that you shared was how it seemed like it wasn't your family that really impacted you or in that way to kind of make you be ambitious and see it as a good quality for yourself. It seemed like it was more external pressures, but what did you unpack as you kind of explored that a bit more? This was one of the most complicated parts of thinking about this book and having to
0: write about myself, because you're exactly right. I'm very lucky that I have great parents who were very much of the just try your best and do what you can, be a good person, be a good friend variety. I was not the kid that was going to get in trouble if she didn't get straight A's, for example. So it took a long time for me to kind of unravel, okay, if it didn't come from familial expectations the way it did for a lot of people I spoke to in the book where did this come from? It had to be more than just some sort of innate quality. And I think the answer is kind of twofold. I think that I was lucky really early on in my life to have things that I was ambitious about. I loved reading, I loved dance, and it genuinely brought me joy to pour a bunch of my time and energy into those things. So I think that that was one part of it, is that it felt fulfilling even when I was really little and wouldn't have used the word ambitious to care a lot about these things that brought me so much meaning. The other part of that, the aspect that's a little bit darker, and that has been a little bit heavier to unpack in adulthood, is that I think for a long time I associated a certain kind of striving, of overwork, of proving that I was doing okay, that I was good, with safety and control. And I think that there's a lot of different intersecting factors in that. I think one of them is that in adulthood, I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder that was definitely manifesting in childhood and popping up in that way. And there were just some other elements of my life that led to me really craving what I perceived as safety and self-worth and stability. And I figured out very early on that while I was not necessarily going to be the best one at everything, I could be one of the ones that tried the hardest. And so I think ambition for me felt like something that I could control and something that would help me get from point A to point B.
1: So interesting. I'm sure a lot of people can really relate to that too. But I do want to come back to where you even started around this idea of like losing my ambition. I find it really interesting how people often... Feel this discomfort. They Mm -hmm. almost start to become aware of ambition because something has shifted on them. And this was the case for myself even as well. This is what even brought me to explore ambition, just like you. It was a little different than like losing my ambition, but it was at least an acknowledgement of oh, my ambitions are shifting. This Mm -hmm. is really interesting. And I also don't think we just, we don't talk about this a lot. What I often find, and I I think it's kind of interesting, is like the characterization of how we talk about it. Like you're saying, losing my ambition, or some people I talk to, talk about they feel like their ambitions have almost steered them wrong Mm -hmm. because they kind of pursued certain things that they thought they were ambitious about, and then they get there and they're a bit disappointed. Or you write about in the book as well about people distrusting even their ambition. So I'm curious what you think about that just in terms of how these things shift, but also how people kind of characterize their ambition.
0: This is such an interesting question because I do think a lot of our characterizations of ambition, probably to some degree, my own included, tend to be dealt with in extremes. We're either losing our ambition or we're the most ambitious about something we've ever been. And it tends to be, in my experience, a lot of pressure on what ambition looks like in terms of timeline, how it's executed, whether you stick to it, almost to the degree that if your ambition shifts or changes over your lifetime, it almost feels like giving up in some way or letting yourself down in some way. And I think that that's the language when thinking of my own ambition and its own shifts that I really didn't have at the time. It's not that I was necessarily losing it or that it was going away. It's that it was showing up in a different form than I was used to. And it was leading me to different things than I would have guessed. I don't think we talk enough about what it means when ambition shifts. And the fact that that can be very disorienting, it can feel very complicated, but ultimately it can lead us to new versions of our ambitious selves.
1: Uh, I love this. I find this too. And it's often that I hear people say to me, is this normal? Like they're really thrown off by the fact that their ambitions are shifting and that their values have shifted on them. And again, I think what both of us are acknowledging is that because it's not something that's talked about much, even though once you start thinking about it, like, hey, we change, our lives change, Mm -hmm. the world changes, like one might expect that we should have our ambitions change. But again, it's not what we talk about. We very much kind of talk about getting settled down or finding a path. And so when things do shift on us, it's like you said, it's very disorienting.
0: Absolutely, and I think that one of the things that that tends to overlook is is to your point, our lives change for all different reasons. And that was one of the things that I really enjoyed and found very interesting in conversations with people I spoke to for the book is all the different reasons that their ambition was changing shape or it was feeling different. It was everything from, moving to grief, to new relationships, to prioritizing different parts of their lives, to changes in the resources or circumstances that they had access to. I think there's so much sitting with ambition and that ambition itself is shaped by so much of who we are, as well as what's happening around us, that it would really be to our benefit as we're having these conversations to think about the fact that it does change over the course of our lives. It changes as we change. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're abandoning an ambition, that you're changing course. It honestly can mean that you're growing. Yes, absolutely
1: of the things you write in the book that I wanted to explore a little bit with you, because I think it's really important on this, and I think contributes to people's angst around ambition, is the area around time pressures. Mm. And you talk about it in a couple of different ways. One is this pressure to figure out early, mm. like what we're passionate about, and almost like this need to get on a path in order to succeed early. You see this a lot in sports, right? It's kind of like parents tra- trying to get the, their kids into a sports kind of path. Path, if you will, like gymnastics as an example. But you also see this in academia where you have parents that are trying to set their kids upright and you know trying to identify a passion early so that they can kind of make sure they're really skilled as they even try to get into college, as opposed to kind of seeing college as being for that. Mm-hmm. But you also talk about this idea of feeling behind. Mm-hmm. And I know I've felt this way before. It's like you have your ticking time bomb chapter, but I'm curious what you feel about this whole kind of time pressure space. Oh my gosh, so much. And I think so much of
0: it is because success is associated with safety and security and self-worth that it just compounds all of these pressures. I talked to a lot of First of all, current students, people who are high schoolers as well as adults who were kind of reflecting back on that point in their lives. And I think the pressure even on that time of life to be mapped onto the quote unquote gifted and talented track, to have decided your major, to have done every single extracurricular while in some cases working a job or caregiving for a relative, all of these different pressures compound. And I think that it leaves people, especially young people, feeling like the problem is with them because they are not capable of staying on quote unquote track and doing all of these things at once when really, It's an obscene amount of pressure for any of us. It is seems to me an especially obscene amount of pressure to have decided your life direction before you are even old enough to vote in this country. And that certainly doesn't mean that young people don't have ambitions or things that they're passionate about. It doesn't mean they don't have goals, but I think the pressure to have your entire life figured out before you even graduate high school is really harmful in so many ways, not the least of which is the mental health aspect of that kind of pressure, but also because going back to what we talked about earlier, it makes it so if you change course at all, if you discover something else you really like or that you're really good at, if your circumstances change, that you failed at the thing that you set out to do instead of that you've grown, And that's the whole point, that's supposed to be the whole point of how we make our way through our lives. We're growing and we're learning and we're changing all the time. And I think that this pressure to figure everything else out early really contradicts that. And then I think you zoom out and we realize that so many of the so-called milestones of careers or adulthood or life in general are inherently very bound to circumstances and economic conditions. And so when we think about the timeline and the pressure not to be behind, it really assumes a certain level of access, support, able-bodiedness, conformity to certain norms that many people don't actually experience or they experience in different ways in different timelines. And I think it's to our benefit to think about what benefits when we're working so hard to keep up and what we're working so hard to keep up for. What are we trying to catch up to? I think a lot of this is really bound to capitalism and the idea of work equaling worth. And of course, we want to feel worthy. So of course, we're going to work to prove that over the course of our lifetimes. But I think the whole sensation of behind this pops up in everything from school to work to our personal lives. And I think that most of it stems from this idea that there really only is one way to be successful or there's only one way to be ambitious. And I think that most of us know from our own experiences or our experiences with loved ones and colleagues that that's not true. There's not a one size fits all to this. But again, I don't think we have nearly as much conversation about that.
1: I totally agree. I just want to pull through a few threads that you shared in there. I mean, first off, there is a the Stanford Adolescent Center. It's something that some name like that actually has a study uh, that young people between the ages, it's something like thirteen to twenty six years of age, only twenty percent of us have a sense of really what we want in life and where we think we're going and why. Right. So. of us, right, are really on this growth and learning journey. And frankly, I might even wonder about that research and kind of question whether or not that 20% truly knows. And I think it's really interesting what you're pulling out here, this sense of the pressure to figure it out. Mm -hmm. I know I have felt that my entire life. And I think it's really interesting how you are tying it to this mental health aspect and I'm curious if you might be willing to share just a little bit more about that based on the work that you do. And it, like, how does that show up for people that are struggling with this sense of, again, okay, most of us don't know. And I wholeheartedly agree with you. Like, if we could just help people see and understand, like, life is a growing and learning journey. Like, you are going to continually learn about yourself. You're going to change, embrace what's present for you now. What is the downside impact? like What does that experience feel like when you have this pressure of figuring it out as opposed to giving the freedom to step into this growth journey that we're all on?
0: This is such an interesting question. And honestly, it's really similar to what I looked at in my first book, which was about young adulthood specifically. And I think a couple of things. I think number one, when we position this as so individual, It's you are behind. You are not doing enough. You could be catching up. I think that we really divorce that experience from the systemic and structural factors that shape somebody's experience. And I think that that is true for all of us, but seems especially true for young adulthood where all of these pressures are kind of compounding right at the same time that all of the impacts of your life and of your choices and decisions and your circumstances are kind of coming to fruition in different ways than they did probably when you were a child. You're being tasked with making a lot of choices that feel very consequential for the rest of your life. And I think that when we don't look at it from a structural angle and position it all about individual achievement, what gets left out is that individual achievement or individual aspiration alone is never going to thwart some of these structural barriers that might be standing in between you and your dreams or you in certain opportunities and so i think that that's one part of it i think another is that it's an incredible amount of pressure to think that you should know who you are and that that should never be allowed to change especially so early in your life. And again, I really, I don't think that's something that seems true for any of us. I think that I feel so different than I did even a year ago. My ambitions are so different than they were five years ago. And honestly, it's taken me a long time. And I think took the process of reporting this book to see that as a good thing. Because for a long time, I had this gut feeling of, hmm, You believe all of these things about other people, but you are a failure. You're a failure for not staying on track. And then of course that spirals into, at least for me, anxiety about how I'm going to catch up. And I think that when we zoom out and we think about pressures on specifically young people, teenagers and people in their early twenties right now, the last thing anyone, but especially that demographic of people needs is more pressure to figure out Who they are going to be and what they're going to be and i think that sometimes that gets spun out to suggest that maybe they should sit and do nothing which number one is probably overrated we could all do a little bit more nothing and probably be okay but number two i don't think that that's fundamentally true i think that when we put so much pressure on a one-size-fits-all timeline or a one-size-fits-all idea of what ambition is of what success is i think it really limits our individual and collective imaginations on what we could be and how we wanna show up in the world. And I think that when we give ourselves space to change and to learn from the experiences we have and discover new things, I think that that enriches ambition. Whereas I think the focus on staying on one track, one timeline, never budging, I think that in addition to it really being quite anxiety-inducing and pressure-filled, I think it can really limit where our ambition takes us.
1: I, I totally agree. And I this is one of the things I really loved about the book, and it's something that I have been exploring with sustainable ambition as well, which is to expand this lens of what ambition is And I think both of us kind of think about, hey, ambition is just not about work. Mm -hmm. But what I really loved about what you pulled forward in the book as well is part of what you're stepping into here in terms of expressing, which is ambition can look different for all of us. Mm -hmm. And we're all on our own journeys. And there's no prescribed path. And I'm going to get this quote wrong now, <laughs> and I'm going to misattribute it, but there's a quote around like, if if the path before you is clear, you're probably on someone else's path. You know, this idea of allowing it to unfold for yourself. But the other piece in your book that I really ex- appreciated was that we all come from different backgrounds, and ambition looks different for many of us. So I kind of want to pull forward. You, you can share if there's a, be- a different story that you want to highlight, but- one that really spoke to me was Aja, if I'm saying mm-hmm. her name correctly. And um, if you might be able to share her background, um, she, I think, was a teen mother, if I'm remembering correctly. And you write in the book, she says, you know, she really had this desire for growth in her intellectual self. And she was ambitious, right? And she was on her own path. And she needed support in that path. I was just very inspired by that story.
0: It's a really incredible story, and I think that it illustrates so many of kind of the systemic factors of how ambition is informed by things like gender and class and race and how all of these structural ideas of what an ambitious person looks like, what do they do, all of those kind of coming to the forefront at once. So she was a teen mother, she had her child in high school, and talked to me about how after that point, conversations about college or what came after stopped. People stopped thinking of her as an ambitious student, a high achieving student, a hardworking student, and really kind of paused all conversations about her future. And meanwhile, as she comes into adulthood, she's working on her associate's degree, she's raising her child, they're dealing with housing insecurity, she's making sure his IEP is in place at school, all of these things that take a tremendous amount of time and energy and, in my opinion, a lot of ambition. And she ended up going back to school for her bachelor's, talking about wanting growth in her intellectual self, wanting to know kind of where the path could lead next. She was a really curious person. She really enjoyed school from what she told me and wanted those opportunities. And even as she sought them, she told me that there were people who thought it was a really bad choice that she was leaving full-time minimum wage work to work part-time and go to school part-time while raising her child. And she felt like it was ambitious to build a better life for herself and her kid. And I think that what stands out to me about that story, number one, is it shows how many Of the stereotypes about what ambition ought to look like and who gets to have it whose ambition gets to be celebrated versus who is told they are wanting too much i think that's very telling and i don't think we can have an honest conversation about ambition without interrogating that and to me it was just such an incredible example of someone having a clear vision for what they wanted from their life and was willing to adjust their ambition and step into their ambition as circumstances allowed them to. And I think that my takeaway from that is, what would it look like if everyone had the support and the resources to do that? What would it look like if we were taking care of people enough to give everyone that opportunity? And so that's what comes to mind for me when I think of that anecdote in particular.
1: What's so interesting is one of the things I really believe in is equal opportunity and I hadn't really connected that to the idea of ambition within that and yet it very much connects and I think that within the book you certainly highlight is this idea of ambition in it in itself as a privilege mm-hmm. right like you said there are these constructs that can be around us that can limit that I lean much more towards how can we step into choice around ambition and I also believe that, you know, outside in the world, we exist within a bunch of constructs that we humans have created, most of them. There are certainly <laughs> ones that are physical that we can't change or like gu- guarded by physics is really what I'm trying to say. Um, and, and yet, you know, some of these, many of these constructs are, are, are human made, right? And so how can we shift our own constructs around What ambition is and start to define it for ourselves. And I liked how you, you interviewed Dr. Megan O'Reilly, who's at Stanford. She's a psychologist there. And, you know, I liked how she articulated like these have all been constructed, meaning they can be deconstructed. And so, um, what do you think about that in terms of like stepping into some of our own constructs around defining ambition for ourselves?
0: I think two big things come to mind. I think the first one I've already alluded to, but I think that there's no version of what's considered ambitious or successful that doesn't directly intersect with race and class and the norms around what an ambitious person is, quote unquote, supposed to look like or supposed to do are still so overwhelmingly white male, cisgender, able-bodied, usually having some level of personal freedom to make choices about what they want to be ambitious about and how that ambition shows up for them. So I think that one part of the conversation, at least to me, really is about resources and what policies or safety nets could be put in place to give people choices to have more freedom in their lives and to think about what ambition looks like for them. Because I do think it's kind of a twofold conversation. I think on one hand, ambition is a privilege. It's something that feels like a luxury to have time to think about your goals or your aspirations that you aren't so focused just on getting from one day to the next, that you can think a little bit bigger about what you might like to have. But on the other hand, I also heard over the course of reporting the book, ambition really used as a scapegoat for not giving people resources. That if they were quote unquote really ambitious, they would have a better job or they would be doing something that they really cared about or all of these ways of kind of offloading big (laughs) structural crises onto individual people. So I think to me, that's part one is is the resources piece and who has access to define ambition on their own terms. But one of the things that I loved about talking to Dr. O'Reilly was this distinction that she made between the word ambition and achievement. Uh, That really clarified a lot for me, because I think that while they're related, they get conflated a lot. And I think that sometimes there's so much focus on ambition as a pathway to achievement, to meeting an external benchmark, that we kind of overlook that ambition can be a process. It can be about personal benchmarks that are fulfilling to us for some reason. And for a lot of us, that might look like traditionally ambitious things like getting a degree, getting a certain job, pursuing a certain path that feels really fulfilling to us, but also it might not. It might look like being ambitious about spending more time with our neighbors and getting to know them. It might look like fostering a really strong connection with a hobby or something you're passionate about outside of work. So I think that when we see ourselves as part of a larger whole, regardless where we're thinking about how our ambition benefits not just us but also could be of service to those around us when we think of ambition as something that is bound up in these larger structural issues all of a sudden i think we have a much more expansive way to think about it and my hope would be that that gives us more opportunities to kind of question the systems that are in place that have defined ambition as this one size fits all thing for so long and think about what it takes to not just redefine ambition on our own terms, but really question what we should have to be ambitious about. Because I think that that's another part of the conversation is not feeling ambitious is not inherently a bad thing. And it certainly shouldn't mean that someone doesn't have the resources to live a safe, fulfilled, dignified life. And so I think all of these conversations are so bound up in each other, but I think that when we really dig into where the stereotypes of ambition have come from, how they've manifested, how they've impacted us. When we open up those conversations with ourselves and the people kind of around us, I think it gives us more space to question the definition that we've been working with and figure out if it really does feel like it's serving us well. I think when ambition is at its best, it's when people have a lot of opportunities and chances to be free or creative in their thinking about what they
1: want and how that can manifest in their life one of the threads that i pulled through that i thought was really interesting is kind of this aspect of like making it personal right i talk about like make sure it is more of a want versus a should But then the also this shows up in my work as well, you talk about the power both of like the collective, but also being in community Mm -hmm. around these things. And so I'm curious how you think about those two aspects as, as well. And if you saw them as these elements of kind of like there's the personal yes, but then there is this importance of the collective and community.
0: This was honestly one of my favorite parts of reporting this book, and it was also one of the ones that surprised me most, to be honest with you. I think that when I was at the outset of reporting on this, I was interested in how we furthered the conversation about ambition, about this quality that so many of us have or deal with or think about in some way, how we kind of push that beyond... The individual element of it beyond this idea that we're self-reliant, that we're supposed to do everything ourselves, all of these things that weren't holding up in my own life. And I also wondered whether they were limiting what my ambition could be or look like. And I loved getting to hear how many people were ambitious about community, about care, about how they show up for each other, and the fact that they were pouring a lot of the drive and intention and care into those spaces. And so I think about it in a couple different ways. I think that with all the recent unionization efforts and strikes across different industries, that's a great example of this, workers coming together to fight for better work conditions, not just for them, and their ambitions, but for everybody. And I think that that has so many ripple effects outward, this idea that workers should have a say in their working conditions. I think that that's one of the best examples of collectivity or community and ambition that is even playing out in the news recently. And then in the book, I talked to a lot of people who spoke about pouring their ambition into mutual aid initiatives in their neighborhood. They talked about really getting to know their neighbors and organizing for better structures, more resources, even different neighborhood policies, but sometimes just as simple as we're going to be together and we're going to take care of each other and prioritize that the same way we would prioritize something that we're traditionally ambitious about because we know this matters to our day-to-day. We know that we do better when our neighbors are thriving we know that when there's enough resources to go around we can all win it's not about a one single check it off the bucket list achievement it's about how do we make ambition sustainable how do we make it meaningful and for so many people that really did play out in serving their communities in showing up in their communities in really centering that as a part of their life that was every bit of as deserving of attention as something that they were maybe passionate about at work or school or in another domain. And so to me, that was one of the most exciting parts of ambition is realizing how expansive it can be, how much our own thinking and our own experience is enriched by learning from other people. I know that that's my favorite part of reporting anything is feeling like I get to be In conversation with people. I get to learn from them. I get to really slow down and listen to them. And it was just an honor, honestly, (laughs) to get to hear about how community-centered ambition was showing up in people's lives.
1: I feel the same exact way in terms of being able to be in conversation with people and really learn from them and learn about their experiences. And I really love what you're pulling through here, this idea of just how expansive ambition can be. And I love how you bring that through in the book because it's almost as if people need permission. You know, there was Cal who you mentioned in the book where he said, we're not really taught to value things like this. Mm-hmm. And so I think being able to demonstrate for others that absolutely these should, <laughs> you see, I got to ca- catch myself. It's not should be a part. It's really if if one wants to have this as a part of how you define ambition for yourself by all means, like you know, include this in how you want to craft your your own life. Absolutely. And I, I loved that example
0: because I think that it really does show that kind of going back to the conversation on who we think of as a quote unquote ambitious person, I think it also illustrates that. For a lot of us, we're taught to see certain things as ambitious accomplishments and maybe not so much others. And I don't say that to devalue certainly anyone's ambition around something like getting a degree or entering a certain field or getting a passion project off the ground. I think that those things can hold profound meaning to people. I just think that the part of the conversation that is sometimes missing or sometimes lacking a little bit is that it's okay if your ambition doesn't look like that. It's okay if it shows up in other areas. It's okay if you value other things. And I think that where we get in to a little bit of a gap with that is when we uphold certain ambitions or certain accomplishments over others. Mm-hmm. And to me, one of the things I really enjoyed hearing about in the book is how people were kind of interrogating that for themselves and figuring out, okay, number one, what do I need to survive? What needs to happen at work to make that possible if I don't have these other opportunities for resources? But also number two, what do I really value? What do I really want to strive for? What feels meaningful to me versus what do I feel like I'm supposed to be chasing? Because that's a real pressure that I think so many of us deal with, this idea that we should be doing X or we should be doing Y. And so I loved hearing about people grappling with that for themselves and thinking, you know, right now, my ambition is my family. It's my neighbors. It's how I show up in my community. It's having fun with my friends. And I don't think that it has to be an either or. I think that it can be a both and. And that was one of my very favorite parts of having these conversations is realizing how robust ambition can be when we move it beyond just one social script of achievement and let it be all kinds of different things.
1: I think that's a great segue to moving towards how I wanted to wrap up this conversation, which was to ask you about what you wrote towards the end of the book. I think it's in the last chapter where you wrote, I noticed the more imaginative I got about my ambition, the more I felt my dreams stack up around me. It was such a difference from the striving of before. I wondered if you could just say a little bit more about that. What was it about these dreams stacking up around you and what was so different about the striving from before
0: so when i think about where i started when i was writing and reporting this book coming from this place of i've lost my ambition i don't i don't feel ambitious anymore i think what i was really saying was the things that i thought would save me are no longer working and i don't know what to do about that and i think kind of the offshoot of that is that i felt very uninspired. I felt like I had kind of used up my purpose or didn't know what my purpose was. I felt like there wasn't anything that was really driving me forward. And so the more imaginative I got about ambition, the more I listened to people talk about being ambitious in areas of their lives that are also priorities to me, like showing up as a good friend how i show up in my community how i think about how all these things intersect with each other thinking about how i can be of service not to myself but to kind of the world and community beyond me that have supported me i realized that all of those dreams that i thought i had lost or thought i didn't have anymore were kind of creeping back in i realized that i was curious about a lot more, that there was a lot more out there that I needed to learn and I needed to do the work on that, that there were a lot of different ways that I could show up. Basically, that even if my ambition didn't look the way it did before, I had different dreams. I had dreams that had expanded. And I think whereas initially my ambition was all about striving toward control and just trying to get to the next thing and hang on and hang in there by my fingernails, it really lacked a sense of being broader and wider in a way that would catch me if I fell. And so when I think about the dreams stacking up, I think first of all about how many different kinds of dreams there were, how many different possibilities it felt like opened up. And I also think it felt like because I expanded my idea of what ambition meant to me, all of a sudden it became this net that could catch me. If one thing wasn't working out, if one thing fell apart that I was ambitious about, I had these other things to turn to. I had these other sources of meaning or comfort or even ambition in my life that I don't feel like I prioritized or named in the same way before. And so I think that that's the bigger sense, the bigger picture of it is that it felt like all of a sudden by giving myself the ability to reimagine what ambition looked like and how it functioned in my life, it kind of gave it back to me in
1: a way. I'm curious for you in this more imaginative, expansive view of ambition, what has your attention now? Oh, my gosh. A lot of things, actually. Um,
0: Some of them work-related, some of them not. I think on the not work-related front, I'm really ambitious about my friendships. That's something I'm really trying to prioritize right now and approach that with the same sense of purpose as I would any other goal. I'm always ambitious about learning something new and listening. I think that that's my favorite part of the work that I do, that I can never get complacent about how I think about different issues. And I'm very privileged to be in the position where I get to learn from all different kinds of people and continually deepen my own understanding and thinking, which I think in turn hopefully shifts how I show up in the world. So I'm always feeling ambitious about that. I think even in my work I'm still I'm still very ambitious about writing but I think that that's changed a little bit too. I think that recently what has my attention is figuring out more how can I support others in this field? Are there ways that I can step back and be of service? Are there ways that I can challenge what I see as some of the the fundamental barriers in this industry? How can I help make sure that people are getting to tell their stories, not just through me, but on their own if they want to. Um, So I think that's kind of been a big one work-wise. But honestly, I think the big takeaway for me is that it I feel so curious about so much, and before I'm not necessarily sure I would have ascribed that curiosity to ambition, but to me it feels like they go hand in hand, and that's a really lovely feeling to be in a position where I feel like I get to be curious about so much and I can direct my attention toward so many different things that
1: feel meaningful. There's so much you share in the book, of course, and I encourage people to pick it up. Is there a parting thought that you might have for listeners on living with ambition, perhaps based on what you learned from the book and all your research or the impact that you hope the book has in the world? You know i see the book is just one part
0: of so many of these conversations about resources about work about ambition about how we show up and self-worth and all these other things so it is just one blip amid the the millions of incredible resources on that so i hope that it's an opportunity for people to continue conversations about their ambition and how it shows up not just with each other but in their own writing or thinking or work or whatever they're pursuing, I'm really looking forward and have loved reading people's different thoughts on this and reading their own work that kind of intersects with it. So that's always something I'm looking forward to. But I think that the takeaway for me is that when we interrogate where the ideas of ambition come from, how bound up or compressed it is by the structures that we're living in, How can we dismantle those structures to give people more resources and more opportunity? I think that in turn gives us the chance to really figure out how we wanna show up in different spaces in our lives, where we wanna bring our ambition to, And I think that that's probably a lifelong thing. I'm sure it certainly is for me, going back to the whole learning all the time piece. But I think that that's the takeaway I hope for, that the deeper we interrogate some of the structural elements, the closer we'll get toward knowing that taking care of each other is ambitious, that asking for care and for help ourselves is ambitious, and that ambition can show
1: up in all kinds of different ways. I really love this as a message and just this idea of supporting each other, all of us on our own ambition journeys. Rainsford, where can people find you if they want to keep in touch? So I am
0: on, I was about to say Twitter. I guess it's not Twitter anymore, but I am (laughs) on what I know is Twitter as at Rainsford and I am on Instagram as at Rainsford underscore Stoffer.
1: Rainsford, I absolutely love this conversation. It's really been a delight. I appreciate the opportunity to learn from you. I appreciate what you're putting out into the world and what you're championing through your book and your work. So thank you so much for being on with me today and being in conversation. Thank you for having me. In her book and in this conversation, Rainsford brought to light many aspects of how we can reframe ambition that really resonated with me. Early on, Rainsford shared what I think is a good guide for right ambitions. On the positive side, she said, what is something you are interested in and brings you joy to put effort into it? I really like that. And then on the watch out side, Rainsford talked about striving and overwork. And I took that to mean when we're rooted in external shoulds or trying to prove ourselves. Ambition can be good. It can guide us toward the things we want in life. Yet, it can also turn bad when the constant striving takes away from those things that contribute to our overall fulfillment. Another thing we discussed that resonated was the perspective on how our ambitions can change over time and really letting that be okay for ourselves. I love how Rainsford associated this with our own growth and how it can lead to new versions of ourselves. That really just hit me. And then I really appreciated her perspective on time pressure and how, as a society, we need to shift our thinking here. Really, we are all on our own paths. This whole idea of the 30 under 30, the 40 under 40, ugh. Some of us just need time for our ambitions to build, to become more clear for us. Many of us can face barriers on our pursuit of ambitions, which may slow things down, if you will. Let that all be okay. This expectation of achieving quickly really doesn't serve us well. And then importantly, I also just love this idea of expanding our thinking and embracing a more inclusive view of ambition for ourselves and others. That can include having ambitions beyond work. Yes, we can have life ambitions. Ambitions are not just for work, that we can allow a broader view for different paths around ambition. They don't all have to look the same. And then finally to allow all people to be able to be ambitious. And I appreciated how Rainsford brought forward the importance and the role of collective and community in this effort. So what about for you? As you reflect on today's conversation, what spoke to you? I'd be curious to know. Shoot me a note at podcast at sustainableambition.com or leave me a voice note at bit.ly slash essay podcast dash ask. That's bit.ly slash essay podcast dash ask. With that, thank you for being here with me to learn more with Rainsford Stoffer. I'll be back in your feed in two weeks with a new story of sustainable ambition. See you next time.